This morning's scripture reading is from Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. That can be found on page 939 in your Pewback Bibles. Romans chapter 1, verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, and birds, and animals, and creeping things. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. I was thinking for just a minute that Chris was going to stay up here and accompany me as I preached. Would not be a problem for me. I would have loved that. I don't know how the rest of you would have felt. Uh, Good morning. Welcome to King's Cross Church and the book of Romans that we are preaching through. And um, today we find ourselves in um, sort of like a, a little bit of the middle of a section and I'm really thankful um, to be here to be proclaiming God's word and the gospel to you this morning. I pray that you'd feel refreshed, that you would hear the truth of who God is. And um, and so this morning, um, I'm filled with thankfulness as we've worshiped. Uh, one of my favorite classes um, when I was uh, younger, uh, I wasn't even a Christian yet, but it was world religions. And uh, I really found that to be fascinating. Uh, I remember that there are around 10,000 distinct religions in the world. And over three quarters of the global population adheres to one of the four main religions. Christianity, 31%, Islam, 24%, Hinduism, 15%, Buddhism, 7%. So if you're good at math, that's 77%. If you add into those numbers, just those four religions, people who don't really claim to be religious, you'll find that 92% of the world's population fit into that just little bunch. But what I find the most interesting is that the other 8%, of religions make up for 9,996 religions. That's kind of interesting. And getting to study some of those was fun. There's many that are just like, wow, okay, how did that, how did you get there? Like, how did this thing evolve? There's some that are super silly. Uh, There's so many like knockoffs of Christianity that don't, they're not really Christian. They're just sort of like take the story of Christianity, kind of make up their own thing. And then there's just stuff out there that's silly. Like super silly, and it's like it's it 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 baffles me if I when I look at stuff like that, like the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster, like people get like people do these types of religions like Christians do their religions. It's like I don't really understand why. Like why do you give yourself to this thing, give your resources, give money, give time to 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 just this weird thing. There's so many of them out there. 
Um, but I have found that like there's many religions that have just sort of co-opted the Christian story, that they're, they're, there's an adoption of the story of the gospel that's similar in themes but different in substance where there's maybe a creation story and then a creator and like something's gone wrong and then there's the chosen one who like sorts some of that out and, and leads you through enlightenment into eternal bliss. There's thousands and thousands of, of religions that are sort of like that. Um, the defining element is human enlightenment and human effort in, in many of those religions. And so we preach um, Christianity um, in, a, in a different light. It's about what God has done to save sinners. Not what we have done uh, to be saved, to gather God's attention, um, to earn our way towards salvation um, so that God would look at us and love us like the story of Christianity is, is God. But God in his mercy and in his loving kindness to you, the fallen creation, the creator has reached out to in the gospel. And so what are we to think? of all these variations and all these different religions? Are they perhaps like imperfect pathways to the one true God? What relationship, if any, do they have to biblical Christianity? Is it arrogant for the Christian and judgmental to suggest that, that all of them are in error and that Christianity alone embodies the truth about God and the truth about eternal life? There are questions that, that we all come to ask at some point in our lives and in our walk and in Christianity. It's, it's something that we find in our conversations with friends who are Muslim or who are Buddhist or Hindu um, or, or follow other some type of religion or philosophy. What's different about the gospel and what do the claims of Christianity make about such things and 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 that's the good news today for us is that the Apostle Paul speaks to this very point. Whether you find yourself in a different religion, a, a, a sort of different denomination, you find yourself in Christianity, you find yourself in, in no religion, irreligion. The good news today, Paul speaks to that in the passage this morning, so we're going to look at that. Um, but before we do, just a bit of review. Like if you're visiting, you're coming in, you're like, what is this? This passage sort of is kind of pulled out of a long conscious stream of thought that Paul has had as he, as he began the letter to the Romans. So the first thing that Paul said was he longed to preach the gospel to this church in Rome. He longed to preach it. In this church in Rome, he wants desperately to see the division and the things that are pulling this church apart. He wants to see that stopped. He wants to see unity in the church of God. It's grievous that this, this sort of disunity can, can, can exist in churches. And he wants that to be stopped. And not only does he just want it to be stopped because it's not good, but because it's getting them off their mission. And they have a high calling in this place, in the Greek world, that, that Christianity we know now on this side of history later spreads through this empire to the entire world. And Paul on the other side of that, perceiving in the gift of the Spirit what the latent potential for the mission of this church is, he longs to preach the gospel to them, to free them from that. 
you've got a bunch of Jews that, that, that were part of this church and a bunch of Greeks and they started this, this church and then the, all the Jews had to leave for a few years. And then they come back and like, there's all this division about how the church has evolved. And he says that the reason that he wants to preach this gospel is because it's the power of God to save people. Because it's the power of God. He's like, I long to preach it because it's the power of God. And he's like, in, the, in this power, in the preaching of the gospel, you're going to see that God's righteous. And as we perceive the righteousness of God, we realize, man, we are not righteous. Like, we need this righteousness. And as he's talking about the gospel, he's like, believe, come, believe in the gospel, receive the righteousness of Jesus. And then last week we heard about God's wrath and like how his wrath is revealed both now and in the future. Like now and in the future against the rebellion of this world, the active rebellion of this world where creation says, no, we do not have a creator. We suppress the truth. Humanity suppresses the truth, denies the truth, pushes out from inside of us conscious thinking that, that there is a God and that he's the creator of all things and that he is infinitely more powerful and eternal and that everything exists for his glory and his praise, that ultimately we are accountable to him alone. And Paul's saying, listen, like, we suppress that truth. It's not just that we don't know it, we push it out. And we are maybe in the most important passage or part of this verse. In verse 20, he says that we are without excuse. So we are without excuse. He couldn't have said it more clearly to you. No one will ever be able to excuse their unbelief for God's existence, no one will ever be able to excuse that because they didn't have the information. We are without excuse. And so today we're going to dive deeper into what that looks like and what it means and how we suppress the truth and what starts to happen as we suppress the truth about God, like what, what begins to happen as humanity does that. So let's pray and we'll jump in. Father, we love you and we thank you this morning for the truth of your word. Um, I just think about the hope that Paul had in the beginning of this letter and to the church that he really longed to see. He could sense the affections that he has for this church and hope for it. And God, even as he shared the gospel, um, he's also shared and will continue to share the grave consequences of sin. That that for a good while, he kind of holds our nose in the mess that we've created. And so God, help us to not squirm or wiggle today. Let, let these passages um, not cause condemnation in us, but awaken us this morning to the pain and misery that we see and experience in the world. That it's not just bad luck. It's because the world's broken. The world's in open rebellion with billions of people producing the fruit of sin and unleashing that reality on society. So God, awaken us to that. Awaken us to the hope of the gospel. 
And all that you're doing as you, as you move in your people, in your churches across this world. Help us to see your gospel this morning and be thankful for it. Help us to honor you. Let our hearts be alive with the light of the truth. And may you in all we do today receive glory. And all God's people said, amen. Verse 21, he says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Like as we begin this passage, I think it's noticing that Paul is expanding on the like wrath of God being revealed. He's saying that humanity suppresses the truth and, and, and then let me tell you a little bit more about the mechanics of that. And, and his presupposition here um, from, from last week is like reconfirm that, that, that we knew God, that, that humanity knew God. Let that sink in. We have to take from this section of scripture that, that's not just my idea, it's Christianity, it's the Bible's idea, that, that, that we aren't just people who um, um, need to find our way back to God, but that, um, and that we're wandering around sort of uninformed about the existence of God. Paul's saying, everyone who exists or has ever existed that doesn't believe in God, knew God existed and chose to suppress it. That's his presupposition. They knew God existed and chose to suppress it. And then he goes on to say, not only that, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Which I think is super important when we talk about what's it mean to, to know God, what's it mean to push that out, what's going on? Why would, why would I do that? Why would you do that? That's not good for you. Like, why would you? So he gives us a, a little bit of a, a, a move into the why a little bit. They did not honor him or give thanks to him. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, he says, Man does not thank God for his mercy, for his goodness, for his dealings with us in providence. We take the sunshine for granted, and we are annoyed if we, don't, if we do not get it. We take the rain for granted. How often we, do we thank God for all these gifts and blessings? God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. He is the father of mercies. Yet people go through their whole lives in this world and they never thank him and they ignore him completely. That's how they show their attitude towards God. In this way, they suppress the truth that has been revealed concerning him. There's just, there's just this, 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 this way of fallen humanity that's so self-centered that, that just refuses to acknowledge God. And then there's the tragedy, misses the mercies of God and all the gifts of God that are just all around us. If we could perceive for just a few minutes in a day how active God's grace is in your life and around you, we would be enthralled with worship daily. But we, we, we tend to not perceive that because of how, we, how, how self-centered our lives are. We should ask then, 
in this passage what happens. He goes on to say, after this honoring and this thanks not being given to God, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So something's happened. As we suppress the truth about God, as we, as we ignore him, as we live self-centered lives, something begins to compound in us. And, and it says that it's, it's darkness and futility. That's, and we should ask, what's it mean, this futile in thinking, this darkened in the heart? Like, we should ask, what, what does that mean? I don't think that Paul's talking about here that Christians have a higher IQ. I don't know. I don't know if any research has been done about that, but I know a lot of people who aren't Christians, very smart people, some of the smartest people I know. So when he says that they're, they're futile in their thinking and that their foolish hearts were darkened, he's not, he's not talking about their intellect. He's talking about their disposition, their worldview, how they think about God. Their theology isn't just messed up, but there's something that's futile, that's broken, that no longer works in the way that they think about God. Sam Storm says, the unsaved man is a fool, not because he is of questionable intelligence. He's a fool because of his immoral refusal to acknowledge and bow to what he knows is true. I don't know if this jives with your personal experience, but I just, I'll testify to you today that like, as I was growing up, I was, I waffled between the ideas of being agnostic and atheist. But for most of my life, until I became a Christian, I knew deep down that there was a God. Now my lived experience was that he didn't care about me. Like that's what the world was teaching me. And so my presupposition was there's a God, but he is a, he, he's an absentee landlord, and I don't think he cares about me. But I knew that there was a God. I knew it. I couldn't stop staring at the night sky. Like, I would tell people there's no God, but I knew deep down. I don't know if that jives with yours, but that's how I felt. There was something that was darkening my heart. I felt it all the time. And I was relieved when it was removed. I was relieved when God removed it. What Paul has in mind in these verses involves a distortion and a deliberate mutation when one substitutes something artificial and, and, or counterfeit of that which is genuine. Like that's what he has in mind that we substitute for God a deity of our own making, our own thinking, or one that's been presented, and we like that better than the, the experience that, that we see over here. That bears repeating for us this morning, when you see someone embracing pagan belief systems or, or cultish or other religions or non-Christian perspectives, don't ever think it's because they've never had the opportunity to know the one true God. What, what this passage is telling us is that God's made it clear that he's there, that he is our creator, and that we are his creation. And all of us need to move forward, embrace that, not pushing that out. They willfully choose to suppress the truth about him that has been clearly made known. 
so that no one is without excuse. And then in verse 21, that their, their thinking becomes futile. It's like compounding fallen regression. That's what happens, is that the thinking, the mind becomes futile, and it has to start um, not only believing the lie, but bringing other lies to support that lie. Adhering to other things and other experiences to embrace what is false. To say, oh, that, my own experience tells me there isn't a God, and, I, and, and now I need ways to, to keep going in that direction. It says their foolish hearts were darkened. He's not just concerned with their head and how they think, but there's something in the heart that's happening also. How they think about God and their affections about God. See, both are in view. You're not just a thinking person. You're, you have a heart, you have a feeling person. And all your experiences in life are impacting your theology and, and how you view God in this world. But in any case, they don't cherish God's plan and they don't look to his beauty, his, the, the, his creation, the preciousness of his creation and the blessings that God gives his people in his world. Darkened hearts mean that they no longer treasure the glory and the beauty of God. The glory and the beauty of God. They do not love as they should love a God who is love. Like that's, that's what Paul is saying. And 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says that the God of this world, Satan, he's blinded the mind of the unbeliever. He, he's blinded the mind of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel in the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Like, that's, that's what's happening. So if you're a Christian, you're like, man, I, I've been trying to, to share, share the gospel with somebody, and it's like they don't even want to see it. It's like they can't even hear me. Well, there's a reason. There's a reason for that. There, there's a reason that Christianity is a narrow pathway. It's not a wide and open road. Few find if you find the gospel, he goes on to say this, that, that as, their, as their thinking becomes futile, as their heart becomes darkened, 22, he says, claiming to be wise, they become fools. So in this darkened state, Paul's saying something um, to me that I feel like is terrifying. Like this is terrifying to me that, that when people do this, they actually believe that they're wise. Like that's terrifying to me. That, 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 like there's, there's such a delusion because of sin and because of our like willful walking away from God and creating these other sort of religions, which are idols, that, that there's a delusion that can come on us. Like that's, that's terrifying to me. And Paul says they've become fools. They, they claim that doesn't, that word doesn't mean like they, they, they're not smart. It, like it, it, it means like they're, they just don't, they're not thinking right. They're the, the moronic way of, of going about life. The, the claim of Christianity is that God's revealed himself in his word and through Jesus Christ, in the person of Jesus Christ. He's like, listen, that's, there's a reality to this, guys. Like, that the, the, the world's like, listen, you believe in Christianity? You really believe that Jesus rose from the grave? Like there's a, there's a wisdom and there's a truth that comes from God and there's one of this world. 
And he's like, this is, this is progressively degenerating idol making. That's what we see. Paul's saying we have a foolishness problem. We suppress the truth, and, and the more we do, then the less we can see. Like, I think that's just true about humanity, but I think for you as a Christian, if you're a believer in Christ, you can suffer from these same consequences. Now, it's different in the sense that, like, God allows us at times when, when we, we do not correct to the truth and behave how he wants us to behave and live to his glory. Like, it's, it's more like God comes to his children and disciplines us to bring us back, right? But, like, that's, that's the difference. But, man, the more we push away the truth, the more we, we willfully walk into the sin, the more blindness comes on us. I've seen it happen over and over and over again. Christians I know are saved. I know treasure the gospel, willfully walking and flirting and, 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 and intertwining their life in sin. And, and slowly and slowly they can see the gospel less and less until they're full of shame and darkness. Paul's saying we have a foolishness problem. In humanity, like, like we have this foolishness thing that we think we can play with sin, that we think we can do life on our own without the God who loves us and offers us everything. Like, that's, that's a problem that we have. And futile heads and darkened hearts and foolish hearts, that's what this produces. And the problem is in verse 23 that they exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animal animals and creeping things. This is really important. This is, this is where idolatry comes from. It's where it comes from. Like you see the exchange that takes place so clearly in this verse. Kind of hard to see in your life where you're making some idols, but like this verse really puts its finger on it. The, the exchange for the glory of the immortal God, the creator of all things for, for the creation itself. What, what a poor substitute for God we are. What a poor substitute. Paul has his mind involving a distortion, a deliberate mutation, one that substitutes this artificial and counterfeit for the genuine. And I think you have to understand about this verse is that, that we are indeed made for worship. Like, that's the reality is when you were created, everything in creation is hardwired to worship its creator. So you're going to worship something. You're going to worship God, the God of the Bible, Jesus Christ, or you're going to worship something else, another religion that promises something that you like, or you won't have any religion and you'll worship self. Like that, those are your choices. You will be a worshiper. Every human is. You were made for worship. And what, what this person does, what, what the fallen person does, is exchanges the glory of the immortal God. It's a glory problem. That, that, that God is all about his glory, that, that creation is about God sharing his glory. One commentator spoke of our idolatry in this way, how foolish it is. Amy and I will be married 25 years this summer. I looked at her for some 
some acknowledgement confirmation if I got that right. We genuinely enjoy each other's company. Um, there really is no one else I want to spend time with other than her. Um, what would she think of me? What would you think of me? If after so long a time together um, that I would go out and pay a substantial amount of money to have someone produce and build for me an AI replica of her. Well, it looks exactly like her in every way. And um, maybe um, I tell her, hey, you're no longer needed. I've kind of made something that's a little better for me. That, that, that I found a replacement. And, and the re replica in no way is her, no matter how many similarities we could produce. But I choose to live with the replica and I eat with the replica. And when people come over to visit our home, I lock her in the closet and introduce the substitute as my true wife to you. And it's funny and like we sort of laugh at that, that idea, but, but for people who are created in the very image of God to reject him and then repudiate him and deny that he is worthy of their affection and devotion and placed crafty idols that we've made to serve ourselves in place of him is an absolute affront to our creator. And it leads Paul to say, hey, we're without excuse. We're, we, we are, our hearts are idol factories. And, and we love to do that. You and I were made for worship. We will worship something. And so, so the call this morning for us is to see like God is worthy of, of our worship and our devotion. And that man-made religion is a fool's errand. It's foolishness. And if you find yourself in the place of um, futile thinking, of sort of a darkened heart, if you feel that the gospel is obscured this morning, that God's path, his plan for us is repentance and turning to him. Turn, turn to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that as he said, um, it is a resurrected savior. Who, who loves us, gives us grace this morning and, and removes the scales from our eyes to see him, to believe in him, to cherish him. Like if you feel that this morning, then the call this morning is for you to come to him and worship. The story in Romans chapter one, as we'll continue to see, is not one of man's gradual evolution up the ladder of spiritual enlightenment. It's not that story. It's his sad falling into the depths of sin and rebellion. That's the story. The history of man's religious experience is not an ascent upward into truth, but ascent, a descent downward into idolatry. It is not progression, it's regression. And it takes the gospel to intercept that to proclaim to those lies the truth about who God is in the person of Jesus Christ. And it does it to the whole self. I think, I think it's important as we think about responding this morning and closing 
that, that, that it takes, this isn't just something that we want to go, uh-huh, and write some points down. Like, it takes a response of our whole selves. I don't know if you see this, but like in this passage alone, you have like thinking in the mind, the head. And then you have like the heart and its affections, how it feels and its emotions. It's like there's that. And then there's the hands creating idols and doing things. Like, like there, this is over and over again in scripture, the head, the heart, the hands, the whole of your person. You're not just a thinking person. It's the integrated self, the, all the perspectives of how God has made us so uniquely that, that you alone as humans have. The mind, the heart, the actions are all at play here. When we sin, when we turn from God, it's not just wrong thinking, it's also wrong affections. And when we love something more than we love God, it isn't just a heart problem, it's also a head problem, it's also like what we're doing. Our hands are, are a problem. And so we see it over and over again. This is all of humanity. And so respond this morning with all of who you are to this passage. All of who you are. Here's a, here's a few things I think we should do in response to it. I think we should thank God. We should thank him. And we should honor him. We should look at our lives this week and we should look at um, what we take for granted like, what, what is God doing? How is God moving? Do an inventory of the blessings that you have in your life. Problems have such a way of getting all the focus. Maybe how you respond today is to make an inventory of what you're thankful of, of what you know God's doing, what's not just going well, but the, the blessings that you're receiving. That can actually help us mourn properly. That can actually help us face the stuff in here better. So thank God and honor him. I think that's a response. Number two, I think in response to this passage, I want to address my idols. I want to address the places in me where I'm suppressing the truth. That, that, that if, God, if there's any way in me that God would reveal that and that again through confession and, and just gospel reminding and renewing, like that's the beauty of gathering on Sundays is that, that we do this every week. We sing and we do that in our liturgies. And then even as we, in the sermon, we come to the table and we see um, his broken body and his shed blood for the forgiveness of our sins, this covenant meal that says to you, God's paid every debt that you deserve and you can come freely and you can repent and you can be free of that sin. You can be free of it today. And so if there's idols at work in your life, please, and come and, 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 and take the bread and, and dip it into the juice. We'll have prayer ministers up here. If you don't know God and you're lost in your idols and the spirit of God is moving on you to believe, come and receive prayer. Receive prayer. And then finally, I would just say that like, the problem in the text today is that they exchanged the glory of God. They, re they refused to give glory to God. The Greek word for glory, doxazo, it, it means to, to think, to, to have this high opinion um, about 
God, like to, to praise and to honor him and to like see his attributes and his goodness and his beauty and then to give him honor, render beauty and excellence in the whole of your person to him. Like give the 62 times or something in the, in the New Testament, this word appears and draws us in to give glory to God. And so we should do that in every way possible before we leave here. The exhortation is found throughout the Old Testament and New. In Psalm 19, 1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. All of creation is wired to bring God glory. Shouldn't we? Shouldn't we? When we, uh, our kids were um, young and someone in our home was suspected of being prideful, uh, our kids would say all the time, pride steals God's glory. Uh, It was said to me more than once. Um, And while God is glorious, despite what you might think or do, to not give him glory is a great tragedy. It's the very purpose for which you were born. To be a glory thief is one of the worst things humanity can be a part of. And pride is what causes us to do that. This exchange of worship undoes the creative order. Humans are uniquely made in the image of God. Uniquely made in the image of God to relate to him in this world and to mirror him to the rest of the world. To, to be purveyors of his glory. It's, it's, it's such a, a sad reality, and it's why Paul uses such cosmic language that we've seen in the book of Colossians and now in Romans, so that we can see that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And that's your invitation this morning. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for um, your word, and we thank you for um, just, just the, um, the boldness of, of Paul the Apostle in the, um, this letter to arrest the idols in our life, to confront all of the ways that we have become glory thieves. And so, Lord, we, we want to respond this morning by thanking you and honoring you for what you've done in our life, for what you're doing and what you will do in our life. God, help us to see where, where idols are um, wrecking things for us, whether it's small things cutting us off from good things or maybe our whole life. Help us to do something about it. Give us the gift of true repentance, that, that, that my mind could change, that my affections could change, that I, my very behavior and obedience to you would change. God, most of all, let us glorify you for the rest of this day and this week as your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.